Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to this edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. And um, this, this guest today is a connection through the co-host, Russell David Dennis. And Russell, um, you met this guy uh, a few years ago, right? A few years ago, yes. They were doing an interesting project to help you expand your mind. And since that time, he's gone light years ahead of that. And don't let that youthful appearance that you're about to see fool you. This man is loaded. He's got lots of learning, brings lots of experience to the table. And he's doing things to help people be more authentic. And he's all about collaboration. That's our language. I've got a bio here that's just to brag him up with. But I'll let you tell him about tell <laughs> you about himself. Go for it, young Joe Holmes. All right. Uh, so, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Joe. Uh, last name is Holmes. And... For, uh, I'm now a uh, partner at a company called Your Charisma Coach, and we teach people how to charismatically influence people to just kind of be a force for good in the world to, to really connect and, and to share your own humanity with, with someone else and, and really to just, again, kind of be a force for good in the world. So uh, we teach people through seminars, products, things like that. Um, you know, and for myself, uh, I came up. Uh, kind of a backwards sort of way in um, in industry and in jobs or whatever. My first job uh, was at a venture capital firm, which uh, most people don't start out with. They they usually are successful entrepreneurs or something like that, and then they then they go kind of uh, take all their money and invest there. I started there and um, was just kind of like uh, the jack of all trades, uh, and, and worked my way up. I eventually kind of became uh, what kind of later was known as sort of the entrepreneur in residence kind of role and um, just got exposed to a lot of different companies, a lot of different uh, industries, a lot of different things. Uh, then I went to college. Uh, so I started, I started doing that job when I was like 17. It was ridiculous. Uh, then went to college, um, finished out that fund and uh, became a management consultant, traveled around the world, did all kinds of stuff with there. And uh, my my job essentially ever since has been just kind of going into organizations of people. I have to quickly get in contact with them, know them, uh, you know, sometimes better than they know themselves and help them fix problems and, and collaborate and do that kind of thing. So I met uh, some, some friends a, a few years ago and we were at a seminar together and uh, all of us are kind of doing our own different things. Uh, these other two gentlemen are, are very successful in their own right. And we all uh, decided to kind of come together and create something amazing. Um, this is, I, I just kind of joined this company as a, as a, as a new partner. And we are just, uh, you know, so happy to basically connect the world. Because uh, we see, uh, at least I see, you know, the, the world kind of going in, in a couple of different ways. One is, is where uh, technology is, you know, software is eating the world. That was my old world. Uh, I have a degree in computer science, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's just like software is doing amazing, cool technological things. 
And the other way that the world I, I see is going is that we're in a connection economy. We're, we're in that place where, you know, you reach out on Facebook, who's the best uh, plumber in my neighborhood? Uh, you reach out to a connection that you met years ago. Like I met, a, you know, I reached out to you, Russell, because I saw something go by on LinkedIn and said, oh, you know, I haven't spoken to him in a while. Let me just see how I can connect. And I ended up being here on your, on your podcast. This is great, of course, but it's just a, you know, a wonderful thing where you can just go out, connect with people. So we saw those kinds of two things happening where um, technology and kind of psychology are sort of diverging. We wanted to bring them back together and, and give people a chance to, to, uh, to really connect with their fellow human beings and, and show people how to do that. Because this is, you know, charisma is a skill. It's something you can learn. It's something you can always get better at. And uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. So uh, I hope that uh, suffices to, to say kind of who I am and, and sort of what I do. Well, it does to a degree, but man, there's so much more there that, that it's phenomenal. Yeah. So you talk about the word charisma, and a lot of people think of charisma. They, they look at a figure that's out there that everybody knows, somebody like a Les Brown or a Dave mm -hmm. Austin or, or, or a Dan Clark that's just full of energy, high profile, extroverted. And, but that's not who everybody is. And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to nonprofits uh, or for-purpose for businesses, mm -hmm. is what they really are, uh, relationships are everything. And I, I think we kind of went through a period in our society of just extreme narcissism. <laughs> and now people are starting to understand that no matter what you do, relationships are at the center of that. So a lot of people probably feel like they're sort of in the dark and you either have all of this juice and charisma, you're either Oprah or you're not. Mm -hmm. And and that's not necessarily the case because everybody's a little bit different. Um, so my first question is, is, is there a natural tendency for people to step away from their authentic selves in order to try to make an impression on others? Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and you're correct that not everybody is Oprah. And I would posit that you don't need to be. We, we already have Oprah. She's great at being Oprah. Uh, and I, I personally am not Oprah. I don't want to be. Uh, my business partner um, is completely different from me. Russ, you're different. Hugh, you're different. We're all different. And that's what makes us that much more valuable. Uh, so there is definitely a natural tendency for people to sort of step away from their own greatness. They look at, you know, those, those very charismatic people who are out there, you know, kind of showing the world who they really are. And uh, the natural tendency for people to kind of step away, sadly, happens to most of us in sort of the Western world, um, for various reasons, you know, kind of social circles telling us we're not good enough, the media giving us kind of unrealistic expectations of who we should be or, or what, what life should be like. Um, you've got to, you've got to realize that most people are afraid to express who they are. So, uh, that natural tendency is, is definitely there. Um, but I look at, um, you know, people who eventually get to a point in their lives and it's usually, uh, someone who's a little older and they realize that, uh, basically no one else cares. And so why should they? And, uh, you know, like, like, you know, you look at, you look at, uh, someone who's old enough, experienced enough, 
and they just don't care anymore, right? They're truly who they are. They're themselves. They, they just go, you know what? I'm just going to be me. And those people are the most interesting people to meet, to talk to, to, to work with because they're just being themselves. And so uh, I'd say that, yes, there's a natural tendency to step away from kind of being their authentic selves, mostly because there's fear there. So if there, if there's, um, you know, if, if it's hard for you to be sort of silent with another person, if it's hard for you to uh, go out there and just kind of express yourself, if you're constantly having to say like, I'm going to fake it till I make it, right? An authentic person doesn't have to fake it. They're just going to say, this is me, right? Uh, and so look to, look to reducing that fear for yourself to help yourself there. Yeah. You know, I prefer act as if to fake it till you make it because, mm. it, you know, it, it's, you're not putting up a facade or trying to, to be something right. you're not. I, I think that throws people out of their, out of their greatness because really it, the further we move away from our authentic selves, the less greatness we have. And so you yeah. work with business leaders from fortune hundred companies. You've worked with nonprofit mm-hmm. leaders. You've worked with government entities, a little bit of everybody. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people interact. It's all about relationships. So uh, how might the idea that people think that they have to put up a certain impression, how could that hamper them in, mm. in their role as a nonprofit leader or business leader or government leader? Right. So uh, the important word there is leader, right? Um, in business, in life, in government, in, in uh for, you know, for purpose businesses or nonprofits, however you want to call it, uh, you know, you, you're there to, to lead it for a change. And if you're going to, you know, kind of step away from your greatness, that's going to hamper your ability to actually lead. And, you know, um, there's like this, there's like an, an invisible sort of magnetism between people, Right. It's called trust. And we, we have huge sections of our brain that's dedicated, hardwired to figure out congruency, trusting people. We, we you know, as human beings, we, we had to evolve over, you know, many thousands of years to learn, is this person taking advantage? Is this person, you know, uh, contributing to the group? And, when we're very good at sensing kind of any incongruence, right? Uh, so when you have an incongruence, you don't trust that person. If you don't trust that person, think about it. Like if, if you didn't trust someone, could you really be influenced by them? You know, uh, if someone's going to hold a gun to your head, you can't really trust them. You might, they might influence you in that moment to get what they want done. Right. But if you know that the, the external threat essentially is removed, you're like, no, I don't trust this person. I can't, I can't rely on their word. I can't rely on them to actually do what they say they're going to do. If I say I'm going to take this left turn and I go right, you know, that erodes some trust. Uh, and sure, there's, there's different things in, um, in life where, you know, you say you're going to do one thing and circumstances make you have to do another. That's fine. But usually, again, if you're the kind of person who um, says, you know what, this is, I promised you this, this happened, um, here's how I'm going to make it right, an apology makes all the difference. Right, because we all make mistakes. We all screw up somehow uh, in our lives, and it's it's 
the way we get back into trusting relationships with the people around us that actually matter. So if you're going to, you know, if you're going to step away from your being your authentic self, people are going to see an incongruence and, and they may not necessarily know what it is. They may not be able to sort of put their finger on it, but they'll say, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know about that person. I, I don't know if I can trust them. And so it will hamper your ability to be a leader in the world, to get the change that you're looking for in the world. So uh, definitely, if you're, if you're not going to be your authentic self, whoever that is, you know, there are people out there who are, who are um, as far as I would be concerned, super weird. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not just going to, I'm just not going to connect with that person. But they're totally authentic. And their audience is just massive and exploding, right? Because the people who, who love them are there with them. The people who don't, you know, mostly it's just like, well, I just don't care. I'm just not going to pay attention. So, um, you know, being authentic creates trust. It creates relationship. And if you step away from that, you're only hurting yourself and your cause. Hmm. Yeah. I think one of the important qualities that leaders and nonprofits recognize is this need to influence people. Hmm. You have to influence people to serve on your board. You have to hmm. influence people to give to your cause. You have to influence people to use your services and, and probably a lot like other businesses, this notion of, of influence makes people very uncomfortable. And uh, one of the troubles that I've seen that leaders had in all types of organizations is this need to be a superman or a superwoman mm. uh, where the buck stops here and they get it all done. Uh, how much of that have you run into and, and what are some of the problems you've seen that people have created for themselves uh, as far as being able to build good collaborative connections that serve both parties? So uh, this is kind of a multi-part question, right? So um, in terms of people uh, being a little bit worried about influence and, and, uh, and leadership, um, the right kind of leadership that you want is the kind where you go first, where you're the one out ahead, forging the path, doing the thing that you, you, you know, creating the world that you want to see. And if you're doing that the right way, people will follow you, right? The, the very definition of being a leader if you are having to convince someone and to cajole someone and to force someone into a position, you're not really leading, you're forcing. And the idea of force versus influence is an, is an important distinction because if I, you know, I could force lots of things to happen in my company, in, you know, my relationships in my life. Uh, but force requires constant attention. It requires you to, you know, always be there forcing the issue. And eventually, force tends to backfire. You know, the idea of physics, if, if you're pushing on something, whatever force you have is, you know, an action that has an op equal and opposite reaction. So you want to be leading someone. You want to be pulling them along rather than pushing them along. That's first. That's, you know, what true kind of influence and, and authenticity is about, is that you're saying, look, this is the world that I'm creating. Do you want to help me create it? Let's go. However you want to join, you know, is, is going to be up to you, of course. Uh, the second part of how do people sort of uh, go wrong, how do they kind of get trapped in this is um, basically they, they, 
they kind of will have several complexes. One, one is sort of that savior complex of like, I, I'm the one that has to do this. Uh, they feel that uh, if they're not the one to do it, they somehow won't get any kind of credit or, um, you, you know, they, they won't feel good at the end of the day. Uh, but I, you look at uh, massive organizations that, you know, there, there tends to have to be the way that, you know, human beings, we set this up is, you know, what, um, you, you know, what, what business doesn't have like one or two kind of leaders at the top, right? Do they get all the work done in these massive, you know, organizations? Absolutely not. So what they've done and, and their real contribution is systems is to delegate is to, you know, to make this kind of thing happen. Like stories that, that I, I hear where, where people do well by themselves in this is, um, uh, companies like Toyota, right? Massive corporation. They didn't used to be as massive as they are now, but still pretty big. And they were, they were making, you know, cars and stuff for the American market. And, uh, you know, long story short, basically any worker at Toyota could just stop the line. They had a little pull chain. You could literally pull it like this, the entire lane of cars, you know, these are hundreds of cars in a row on the assembly line just stops and everyone rushes over and figures out, okay, there's a problem here. We got to fix this. Right. And we got to fix it for good. Let's not just, you know, fix it today. Like if someone collapses or something, that's obviously not good. That's, that's, uh, you know, but, but that's really a system that you have to put in place of like, why did that person collapse? Right. Uh, the idea of the five whys comes out here where you ask why five times in a row and you get to the root cause of an issue there. Uh, you can read about all that kind of stuff. The other, the other sort of, um, stories I, I remember of, um, this guy I know, his name's Derek Sivers. Uh, he had a company called CD Baby for a long time. He sold it for, uh, for uh, you know, an interesting way. Uh, he created a uh, basically a nonprofit that pays him while he's living. And then when he's gone, it is going to go toward, uh, toward music education and everything else. Very, very, very interesting guy. Um, if you ever need to look him up, I believe it's Sivers.org is his website. But really cool guy, what he did when he realized he was kind of the bottleneck of his companies, he did the same thing. He's, he would get a question from one of his employees. And he would stop and say, okay, we're going to create a system here that solves this problem for the company. I never want to have to deal with this again. And for the first few weeks, he was like, this was hell. I don't want to have to do this, right? But he, he took the initiative. He led and then he showed his team, this is the way that I think. Let me, you know, this is, this is where the idea of culture comes in, right? So uh, let me show you how I think about this kind of thing. Then you guys get to go and do this. And then eventually he said, you know, you guys come up with your own systems and your own things. And eventually, yes, he was able to exit the company uh, because he had created this massive set of systems that just let the company run and, and kind of become its own organization and make its own uh, Make its own way, and that's really the work that Cinevision does. We teach people absolutely to establish systems that serve them and move them forward. And through creation of systems, uh, co-creation of systems, mm -hmm. uh, everything comes together. And so, you know, in order to to make an impression on people, good leaders mm -hmm. need charisma. We talked about charisma. Yeah, uh, Marcus on Facebook asked, "What's your favorite book on charisma?" Ooh, Marcus, um, it's funny, is one of my partners, so he's, he's trolling me a bit. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Wants to make uh, sure you weren't sleeping in the last board. I know, right? <laughs> uh, you know what? One of my favorite books on charisma is uh, a book. Uh, I'm gonna have to to look up the name here in a second. Let's see. Um, One of my favorite books, yeah, is um, there's a there's a book called The Way of the Superior Man, and I like this book because it's got a few really good insights in it. One, um, for me, I, I read this book about once a year, uh, just because I find it um, so interesting. Uh, don't let the um, the title kind of scare you away if you're if you're a woman. In fact. If you're a woman, you should read this uh, because it'll help you understand the men in your life to a, to a greater extent than I think um, a lot of uh, kind of self-help and development stuff might, might show you otherwise. But, um, you know, we talked a, l- a little bit earlier about how, you know, being authentic is one of the best ways of being charismatic. And without that authenticity, people aren't going to trust you. They're going to, they're going to wonder, uh, you know, are you, are you for real? And, um, this book, at least for me kind of broke down, uh, what it's like to be a man in modern society, uh, what you need to know and, uh, helped me sort of figure out, uh, I remember there's a, there's a chapter basically in the book that says, you know, uh, pretend that your, your father is gone, that he's dead that he has no more influence on you. What are you going to do now? Right. And I had to sit with that one for a while because my dad's a, one of my heroes. He's a important figure in my life. And, um, you know, we also go about life in, in different ways. And when I read that chapter, I remember just going like, you know, I'm going to choose this path for my life rather than another one. And, um, it's, it's just kind of an important book. I think that, that people, um, may not consider, um, to be kind of a, like a leadership and kind of, uh, you know, influence kind of book, but it helps you to discover yourself a bit more, uh, especially as a man, but also again, as a woman to, to understand yourself too, because we all have kind of masculine and feminine um, parts of ourselves. I, you know, identities that we, that we play into. So a uh, really good book. I would, uh, I would recommend that one to people. I want to, can I punctuate that Russ? That's um, uh, Joe. What um, what generation are you in? Russell and I. I believe Russell. We're both boomers, aren't we? Yeah, we're kind of crusty, and that's a great mm-hmm. thing. That means we've been around a long time. I plan to be around a lot longer. Crusty. Yeah. <laughs> crusty. <laughs> so, which generation are you in, Joe? I believe it's X, and and, and maybe on sort of the uh, the cusp of millennial. Yeah. Um, Russell and I are champions for transformational leadership and you, the, the, you're anchored in your authenticity. You know, you, you, uh, you model, you practice what you preach, you model what you want to see. And as a musical conductor, you know, that comes back to me instantly. You know, yeah. You, you, your culture is what, what they see in you. Mm-hmm. Um, authenticity is a real key. When you talk about millennials, that's a key factor. It's a key factor. Um, 
I think more than any other generation, they just don't really want to put up with the BS that they've seen us boomers create. We're on the way out <laughs> of some of corporate jobs and church jobs and nonprofit jobs. And sure. they come in with a whole different different sense. So there's a there's a there's a similar set of values. So when you're looking at this community of collaborative thinking, how does this um, authenticity? And that's a really interesting book. And I'm interested to hear you talk about reading it again. And I'm uh, so I want to probe that authenticity as far as generations. How does that affect collaborations? And then as you as you read the book, tell me if you see different things every time you look at it. Uh, so I'll answer the last question first. Yes, I see different things out of it every time I read it because I'm a different person every time I read it. Uh, you know, that's not the only book I read. Uh, so uh, my viewpoints change, my life changes, my circumstances change. Uh, I had a I had a son a few years ago. So when I, you know, before before having him and after after having him, my life drastically changed in in terms of the things that I was doing and um, the businesses I had and, and, and all kinds of stuff. But, but I personally, you know, some of my, my risk tolerances changed, for instance, like I used to go skydiving and, um, you know, motorcycle riding and all kinds, you, you name a extreme or dangerous sport. I was there, uh, kite surfing, you know, you name it. After I had my son, uh, I said, you know what, I'm just going to hold off on that for a while. And, uh, you know, I know there are people who, who would, uh, agree with that. I know there are people who actually would disagree. A bunch of the people that I used to, uh, do a lot of those things with were like, what, just because you have a kid that doesn't change. Uh, but honestly it changed for me. So, you know, what, what's most important to me is going to be less important perhaps to someone else. To me, you know, some of my most important values are family and freedom. So I like to, you know, spend time with my family. I like to, be the man around the house that's, uh, you know, fixing, you know, my house, I fix stuff around here all the time, you know, uh, so my life changed. And so in, in reading that book again, you know, like, um, I got the, that, that one chapter I talked about how imagine your, your father is dead. I imagined myself as being dead and what would I want my son to know? Uh, and so I actually wrote some, some stuff down in a letter. It's in like a fireproof safe or whatever. Um, so if I was ever gone um, kind of prematurely, my son could get uh, hopefully some of my wisdom passed along to him, uh, you know, in some way. So uh, it, it definitely changes the book. The book of course doesn't change, but I change enough that I notice different things in the book and, and, and um, it makes, it makes kind of all the difference. So that's why I read it about once a year. Uh, in terms of your other question, you know, authenticity between um, kind of generations, I don't think people are less authentic or more authentic, you know, between these generations. I think that uh, technology has uh, made certain things a bit more magnified than they were in the past. You look at uh, stuff like, you know, we're, we're on Facebook Live right now, right? Uh, potentially thousands of people could be seeing this at the moment. Whereas right now we're talking as this is a, this is a personal conversation essentially between us three. So these kinds of things have changed the social dynamics of, you know, where we're, where we're at generationally, but also just as human beings. And so, you know, normally 
this would just be between us and we'd get, we'd get a good impression of each other. We maybe we'd learn some things and then we'd go off onto our kind of separate activities. Now this is recorded. People can watch this over and over. Hundreds of people are watching this outside of, you know, what we're uh, of just us three. So we have a, uh, a different take human beings. You know, when we know we're being recorded, when we know someone else can listen to this later, we edit our speech. We, we do these things, um, you know, commonly, I've gotten to the point in my life where it's like, this is me. This is who I am. I'm going to express myself in the way that the best way that I know how. Right. So like I said, I'm not Oprah, nor do I want to be. I'm Joe. Nice to meet you. Right. If, uh, if one of my business partners, Marcus was on here, he'd be, he'd be joking with you guys a bit more. He's the, he's the more like funny guy of, of our little, of our little group. And we love him for it, right? Everyone just, ex- Marcus just ex- exudes this charisma in his own special way, right? Another, uh, another partner of mine, Johnny, he's the kind of hard charging, intense kind of guy that like, is just like, if you ever want something done, ask Johnny, because he will just get it done until it's done, right? I'm more sort of the reserve kind of type or whatever, but it works for all of us. And, uh, you know, the... If there's, if there's much of a generational gap, I think it's just because people have different values. They have different ideas of what they think um, life should be like, how they should conduct themselves. And I think if you just kind of look at the other persons and, and look at what do they care about the most, what do they value, you'll find you have a lot more in connection than you think. Um, you know, you guys probably seen the movie, right? Think about like um, The Breakfast Club, for instance. You look, you look at all, you, you know, the, there's the, the stoner kid, there's the outcast, there's the jock, there's the whatever, right? Ostensibly, you know, we all, through, all went through that kind of high school experience. Many of these groups kind of uh, don't, really, don't really come together. And so all these, all these kids had detention on the weekend and it sucks and they're there, but, you know, they're all different and, and everything else. What they come to realize, of course, is that they're all very similar. They all have, you know, the same kind of struggles in life. They all have hard things going on and they all, you know, kind of at the end realize they can kind of support each other. And so it's a great movie, a great metaphor for how I think, um, you know, uh, different social groups or different generations can come together. You can just realize that we're, we're all human beings. We're all here to, you know, to live our lives. We're all here to connect with people. We're all here to collaborate, communicate, do all those good things. And, um, when you realize that powerful, powerful things can happen. Yeah. These are the type of tools I use working with people. These are the tools we use with center vision is to try to look at how all these different pieces and parts put together. Mm -hmm. Strength comes in the variety and the diversity across different areas of knowledge, different skills, uh, different personalities, and, and yeah. the more you have, and you find that to find that common ground is is phenomenal. And so, yeah. uh, and this is what collaborations about. And, and I think a lot of people are afraid to to look at collaborating because they feel that there's a, a piece of something that they're going to lose out on if they collaborate with other people. Yeah. That it's sort of a scarcity type of a mindset. Have you found that in in business in general? I know we find it in nonprofits and and 
what are some of the things you do to help people get comfortable with that and to just back up and, and uh, understand how the differences uh, that people have aren't as scary as they think they are? Yeah, um, you're totally right. The differences that people have are actually their strengths. And uh, an example I, I use when, when I talk about collaboration is uh, when I was, when I was um, running a team in, where were we? We were in Atlanta. And uh, great city if you're ever from there, or if you ever want to go there, go there. It's awesome. Uh, in Atlanta, I was working for this really large corporation and uh, being a management consultant, I'm just like staying in a hotel basically all week and living out of a suitcase. Uh, and so the hotels gives these little soap, you know, shampoos and all that stuff. And uh, I don't have a lot of hair, just it's not long. Uh, so I only need very little, worse. right? It could be worse, right? You know, but hey, uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I don't, I don't need a lot of shampoo. I definitely don't need all the, the lotion that they give you. I'm like, I don't need that. Uh, it's hot and humid down there. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. So I would often um, just kind of look at these and just sort of, you know, leave them in the room or throw them away. Um, and one, one day I, I, I went, you know, there's gotta be something I can do with these. So uh, I set up a box. I had about 40 employees working for me at the time. So uh, I set up this box in our team room and, you know, 40 people in, in their hotel rooms, basically at the end of the week, they would just throw their extra shampoos and conditioners and all, all this hotel stuff that the hotel was going to throw away anyway, uh, because they can't really use this stuff. And they, um, they put this all in a box and I went and took this box once it was full and it was just like, you know, a hundred pounds of stuff. I took it down to a, a local uh, shelter and said, Hey, this is for you guys. Right. And they're like, Whoa, what's this? And they, they got very excited because they're like, you know, people, people need this hygiene kind of stuff. And I was like, well, it's, it's here for you. Take it. Right. Uh, and that could have been the end of it. But uh, I decided to kind of, uh, you know, at your charisma coach, we say like, find your edge. Right. So, uh, I went, you know, this isn't enough. I got to go one step further. And so what I did was I said, um, you know, would you mind if I called up, you know, I'm, I'm going to come next time with another box of this. Would you mind when I did that? If I called up a, um, uh, like a news producer here in Atlanta and we'll do a little news segment on your, you know, uh, on your work here. And I don't want this to be about me. I want this to be about you, but that will use what I'm doing as the sort of in, cause it's newsworthy uh, to do this. And they said, yeah, absolutely. So in the next month or so, I got enough uh, uh, these bottles again and called up a, a news producer and said, Hey, I'm going to go down to this, this thing. Uh, I'm donating, you know, a hundred pounds of this, uh, you know, shampoo, conditioner, all that stuff. I think it'd be interesting if you talk to these people, interview them, talk about why this is important to them, how it's going to help them, everything else. Uh, the news producer said, yeah, absolutely. This is great. I'll meet you down. We met down there and uh, I had the uh, nonprofit do a quick interview about, you know, why this helps, what they, you know, what we were doing, everything else. I got on screen for a few minutes and, you know, not even a few minutes, just like 30 seconds and said like, you know, hi, I'm just, you know, a local guy doing this. I think it's really important to support our local communities and that kind of stuff. And through that news story, 
a ton of the hotels around have consultants there. And so they all started their own programs to be able to do this. And uh, it got to the point where this particular organization couldn't handle any more of, of the donations. So they actually started uh, sending them out to other organizations in the, in the city and everything else. And uh, the word got back to uh, my kind of corporate headquarters and, and stuff. They started doing this in every other city that they were in. And this, this uh, um, consulting company was all around the world. So, you know, around the world, people suddenly unlocked this potential, right? So what's the, you know, what's kind of the key takeaway there, right? Is I looked at this as just, this is, uh, it's abundant thinking, right? I have, I have this resource. I'm not using it. Maybe someone else can. And, you know, the news media needed, needed a, a story for the day. Great. So I helped them, you know, create a story. That story helped, you know, uh, influence a, a ton of people to say, I could do that too. And they, they started doing that. So everyone in the community got to raise up. So I couldn't have done that on my own. I, could, I couldn't, you know, be buying thousands of dollars of shampoo and, and donating it. Sure, I could do that, but like that's, that's essentially going to be where it stops. But instead, I, instead of like forcing, you know, myself to do that or forcing my employees to, to do that, I said, guys, I'm going to do this first. If you want to join me, great. And then I'm going to have other people get involved with their unique skills, their unique gifts, their unique abilities and talents, and we're all going to collaborate together. So when I look at companies and they, they say, you know, like, uh, I don't know how to communicate or collaborate, or I feel like maybe they'll take my clients or their, my customers away or anything else, I'd say, look to find someone who you can partner with, look, look for someone who you can collaborate with that can do something you can't. And that you guys together, you know, one's chocolate, one's peanut butter together. Oh, you're, you're even better. So why not, uh, why not look at life that way where, where it's a, it's a uh, positive sum game. The more that you put in uh, and collaborate with people, the more you're going to get out than you would individually. Abundant thinking. And that sounds like a quality that leaders should have, especially nonprofit leaders and, how do you help them tap into the notion of abundant thinking and put that into practice? Oh boy. Uh, so that would take, um, I think uh, perhaps a little while longer uh, than we, than we have here, but I'll give kind of the short answer is that, um, you know, when, when you are collaborating with people, uh, one of the best ways to do that, is to listen to them, to find out what they actually need and want. Uh, you know, when I want to collaborate more with people, individuals or businesses or whatever, um, you know, like a, for instance, a, a friend of mine was, was um, looking for a job and she um, has a decent one already. She just doesn't really like where she's at. She just feels like uh, she's kind of stagnating there. She wants to grow. So uh, I took it upon myself without her asking. Um, a couple of friends of mine um, are looking to hire in the same kind of role that she's in. And I, I uh, sent them a message said, hey, you need to reach out to this person because this person's great. They can do really good work. They're kind of looking for a, a move, but they don't know where to go yet. Can you just reach out to them for 10 minutes and talk to them? Uh, fast forward you know, a week later or something, I get this call, this excited call, like, Hey, I just got this offer from apparently a friend of yours. What did you, what did you do? Right. And, um, you know, it was, 
it was something where, uh, you know, we say this at your charisma coach as well. We try to put rabbits in hats where, you know, I look at it as, or, or, or the other phrase we use is kind of, we put treasure in your chest, right? It's like, she didn't ask me to do this. I didn't have to do this. Uh, you know, we have to, uh, we have, to, you know, I, I look for opportunities to say like, how can I serve this person? How can I, how can I make it so that, um, they'll get to shine in their own lives. And so, you know, in a five minute, 10 minute call from me to a couple of friends of mine, I got her a great job. She loves where she's at. My, my friends as well, who are, who had the company, um, are ecstatic because they got someone that really wasn't even on the market. They didn't even know they were looking for her. Uh, so they, they got a, a great fit and that was my, you know, my gift to, essentially to, to all of them. And so I looked at it as like, you know, I, could I have gotten a, a fee for, for doing that essentially with kind of like a recruiter? Sure. Right. Um, but the best way to collaborate with people, I think is that, um, you just give to them. You don't have a need to collaborate with them. You know, I don't, I don't really want to collaborate with, with people. Like, I, I'm not going to say like, you like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not out there like, will you please collaborate with me? Please, 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 please. It's more like I'm out here doing cool stuff in the world. I want to make it so that people are kind of knocking down my door to collaborate with me. So do something interesting. Be, you know, again, kind of going back, be authentic, be the, you know, the organization, the person that you are in, in life, in the world. And people then kind of show up uh, at your charisma coach. We literally have people emailing us like, how can I work for you? How can we be an intern for you? I'll do unpaid work. I don't care what it is. I just want to be around you and absorb whatever it is that you have. And maybe some of it will rub off on me. Right. So we don't, we don't actually go out and, and look for most of these things. People just show up because we're being who we are. And that's so interesting to people. It's so, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of charismatic to people that they'll just, they'll want to collaborate with you. So if you're having trouble collaborating with someone, look to yourself, be someone who you would want to collaborate with. And you'll find people starting to come out of the woodwork. Then all it takes is kind of a dose of creativity. Um, the example I gave before was kind of like, well, I had something that was kind of going to waste. I guarantee you there's waste in your organization in, in some other way. Uh, that it's something you're doing or something that, you know, like this, a, a, a conversation between, you know, high level business people that uh, would normally just be between them, record it, send it out to an audience. Some people will like that. Other people won't. That's okay. But you'll find people that resonate with those kinds of things that you're doing and they'll want to contribute. They'll want to collaborate because uh, there will always be people who, who will want to compete and tear things down and everything else. I don't really pay attention to them. I look at the people who want to create more in life to, to make something better in the world. And I go, Oh, well, you're doing that. Great. Uh, there's a charity in the UK. Uh, it's called the loneliness project. And we're, we're looking to, you know, do some collaborations with them as well. Um, but we're not going to be like, please, please collaborate with us. We're like, Hey, we're helping people be more charismatic. Your message and our message are very, you know, closely aligned. If you'd like to work with us, great. If you wouldn't, great. We'll still support you anyway. We hope to send some people and some attention and, and everything your way. And we're just there to give. We're there to, to give all the time. We're not looking to, 
to force someone into any kind of interaction with us just to, to have some fun. Joe, as speaking of um, drilling down on nonprofits, charities, what we're calling today for purpose organizations, mm-hmm. um, there's not really um, experience and knowledge on collaboration. Mm. We're, we're duplicating efforts, multiple charities in a the community. They're, they're competing for the donor dollars. So yep. What do you think is the, the bridge to help uh, similar charities that are even local or even around the country? What is the, the barrier that charities, leaders, and, and nonprofits need to consider to break through to? We see, Russell and I see collaboration is opening up a vault to a lot of more uh, success. Mm-hmm. And, um, so what do you, what's the biggest barrier and what's the antidote to that? What do you think? Uh, the biggest barrier to collaboration? I'd say the biggest uh, barriers to collaboration is uh, a values misalignment, basically, that um, if, um, if you value one thing and I value another, then it's going to be difficult for us to collaborate. Uh, you know, I would say don't partner with those kinds of people. Don't collaborate with them because you're just not, you're just not going to have a good time. You could, you could make it work. You can kind of force things to, to happen. But again, that's force versus influence, right? But if you both want the same thing, if you both have the same kind of mission, then uh, it's easy for you to say, you know what? There's more than enough donor dollars to go around because believe me, there is. Uh, there's so much cash available in the world. It's just finding and you know, creating it in some cases, uh, that becomes the, uh, the interesting challenge. Sometimes you, the, the people that have the closest alignment, the most similar values, the most, um, overlapping missions, mm-hmm. each other as competitors. So mm-hmm. besides the, if they're aligned, what, what are some more barriers to thinking collaboratively if from a leadership standpoint? Uh, that scarcity mindset of that there's only so many donor dollars that are going to go around. Uh, and that's just a belief. It's not true. I haven't seen that to be true in my experience. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that, that, uh, stops people from collaborating is they think that, uh, they do that. I think also another example is that they, many people just don't have examples of how to do this. They don't know, they, they, it doesn't, it, it's like, um, you know, it's like saying it just doesn't occur to them that it might be possible to collaborate with, with another organization that has maybe a, a very similar mission or a very different one. And so uh, they just don't do it. So it's like saying, well, um, uh, you know, I didn't consider that I could, uh, I could use my car to, to drive to the store, but I drive to work every day. It's like, it's the same, it's the same stuff. You're just going to a different, slightly different kind of destination. So with, um, with organizations, you know, often I tell them you can look outside of the, of the nonprofit sphere uh, for people you can connect with and collaborate with. If that's uh, kind of where you want to start. Uh, One way that's really great is uh, something that, that I've done in the past with, with, um, you know, nonprofits and, and with, uh, larger corporations. Uh, this is a model that comes from a guy named Brendan Burchard. And what he does is, uh, 
similar to sort of my hotel story where uh, if you're a, if you're some kind of uh, business or creator or, or someone that has a product or service that some, that a, a nonprofit would be interested in, or if you're the nonprofit and you're interested in someone's, you know, services, let's say, you know, Tony Robbins has some special seminar that you'd, you'd love all your people to uh, attend. Uh, but uh, you know, that, Tony, Tony Robbins stuff is, is high end. It's expensive. So uh, maybe you don't have the money to pay for that out of donations, or maybe your, your donors wouldn't like that. So what can you do? Right? Well, uh, I would say at a third party and uh, let's say you're, you know, the red cross uh, or, or, you know, scale this up and down again to, to the size of your organization and, and who you can access, of course, but let's just kind of use some well-known examples. So we have a, a clean kind of example. If you're the Red Cross and you say, I want to send, you know, 10,000 people to a Tony Robbins event. Great. Uh, well, how do we pay for this? How do we get this done? Tony needs to make some money to put this on at the very least. Uh, we need to get, you know, people excited and invited. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's add in a third party. Let's call up Coca-Cola who really cares about, you know, uh, people being able to buy Coca-Cola around the world. And, uh, they have millions and millions in advertising budget, for instance. Uh, bigger corporations, especially like Coca-Cola, literally have entire people and teams and, and stuff whose job it is to help uh, put funds in the right place to, to nonprofits as well. So if you don't know that, go research. It's, it's pretty uh, interesting. And uh, what you know, a, a nonprofit or a company who kind of wants to offer this service can do is go out to the nonprofit or the nonprofit can kind of go out to them and say, Hey, can we use your, your name? So if Tony Robbins said, Hey, can, can I use your name Red Cross to go to Coca-Cola and say, I want to put on this cool event uh, and everything else. Um, I did this for a, a local charity in LA. We created an event where uh, we got a bunch of local businesses around LA to bring a lot of their employees and to donate and or to donate some money to an event. This event was basically teaching charisma, soft skills, those kinds of things to um, the particular people were 18 to 25 year olds. They're called the transition age youth. They've aged out of foster care. Uh, so they're technically adults after 18 uh, and up until kind of 25 is sort of this age range. They're in a very um, kind of vulnerable age when you, when you kind of come from a disadvantaged uh, home life, things like that. So, these people are looking for jobs. They're looking to get out there in the workforce. They're good. They're good kids. They want to do things, you know, right. And so what we did was, you know, uh, we said, we're going to bring these kids and they're going to come for free. These businesses around LA, we said, you know, please, uh, either, either, um, you know, sponsor the event and we'll put in like a little small advertisement and kind of like a little flyer or, um, you know, pay for a ticket and have your people come right? Because it's, it's still useful, great information for your employees, for your leaders, everyone to, uh, to get in on. Fast forward to the event. We basically had what amounted to uh, a training event and a job fair. So at this training event, everyone got to learn greater skills of how to communicate better, how to collaborate better, how to do, how to do more things and um, connect with their fellow human beings, basically. These kids got to learn a ton of stuff they wouldn't have learned otherwise. These these uh, companies got access to to young, fresh employees who are who are you know great people, and they wouldn't have known about each other otherwise. So we put them together into kind of like a, a mentoring kind of relationship during this weekend, uh, 
the, so like the more seasoned employees got to kind of sponsor and mentor a, a younger kid and everyone really loved it. It's now an event that runs every year and is continually growing and growing, right? So we took the spirit of collaboration. We said, you know, this nonprofit can, can ask for donors. That's great. Uh, this company can try to advertise these people. That's great. You know, I, as a, as a, you know, business person can try and kind of get into these groups and maybe partner with them. That's great. But all three of us together can do so much more. Uh, you know, and, and once this started going, they now understand this model. And so they've taken it out. I know, I know one of their executives left the organization and is now at another one and is doing the same thing in another city. So this, these ideas, these kinds of sort of memes start to spread out into the world. And so if you're looking to collaborate, look, up, look beyond just kind of your local experience, go out into the world and say, you know, who has what I want? Because your problem, I guarantee you, is someone else's solution. And you'll be able to find someone who wants to contribute to you in a meaningful way. Russell, this last seven minutes has been a, a really capsule of possibilities. Um, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking that we need to get on the horn with Joe Homs and see if there's a collaboration with CenterVision that we can you know, pop out of a bubble and, and put some of these things to work. Um, I'll show you how. Joe, I'm, I have to be the hard, hard-nosed guy here. We've come up to the end of our, we try to keep these, um, our time. We try to keep these Absolutely. under an hour. We could, it's fascinating. We could talk to you all day. And um, uh, Russell, thank you for inviting him here. What we, we customarily do is we, I, I end with my sponsor message, and then you get the last word, um, except Russell will say goodbye at the end and close this out. But you get the last word after this sponsor commercial. So, okay. You know, What's the closing thought or tip or challenge that you have for listeners around your topic today? We, um, we're able to do our work because of our sponsors. Yeah. And the sponsor for podcast today is the uh, UMC Cyber Campus. It's Cyber Campus. It's for those religious leaders who want to continue their growth. And at Center Vision, we encourage people to be in the, the growth personal development field forever because we never reach a plateau. There's always a place for us to grow. Finding the end of leadership is like finding the end of the internet. There's a lot more. It's UMC for United Methodist Church, cyber, C-Y-B-E-R, campus.com. Lots of programs in there, including uh, our core program, um, Transforming Power, it's the fast track to transformational leadership excellence from Center Vision. So check out umccybercampus.com to continue your personal growth. Everybody needs leadership. And Joe, we're probably going to also invite you to write for nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. This last scenario about thinking out of your box, our, our next issue coming up is on um, co collaborations. It's partnerships. Some of them are public-private partnerships. Some of them are like what you talked about there. So I think there's a story brewing. What do you think, Russell? Oh, yes. And uh, he's done a lot with that. Yeah, We talked at some length uh, a little while back when I bounced the idea to him. And we'd love to have you for this podcast. And we talked about a number of just all sorts of different projects and the power of collaboration and the time has come for that. It's really time for all of us to point our thinking in that direction. 
Yeah. Uh, the business networks I'm in do that, and the, the, the organizations that I've been working with do the same thing. So um, for those people listening, I want to go to info at centervisionleadership.org. Send us an email if you're interested in having a conversation. Our new site will be up um, at the recording of this in a day or two, centervisionleadership.org. It's up now just as a placeholder, but we've got a lot more in our community for community builders. Before Russell closes us out, um, Joe, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Ooh, um, you know, given that we're talking about community and leadership, um, a lot of, I think a lot of leaders, a lot of organizations think they have to be, um, really impressive to, to make an impression out there to, uh, to get donate, you know, donor dollars, things like that. Right. Um, I would say if you're, if you're going down the impression route, you're going to, you're going to run into most likely the, the fact that, um, it's going to be inauthentic in some way. People are going to lose the, the congruence that you have. And so instead look to express yourself in the world. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about how you're going to be judged. Just be you. Be that old person in the, uh, in the senior living home that's like, I, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to show you what I've got. This is me. Take it or leave it, right? Think about all the most interesting people you know, from you know, celebrities like Oprah to even just the guy next door that you're just like, man, this guy's fascinating. Every one of them does not care what you think about them. They're just out there expressing themselves. So I would say if you're going to be a leader in your organization, go first, express yourself, be who you really are. And I know that's like the best, worst advice ever. Just be yourself, right? The reason that people say that is because you are enough. You are everything you need. And so express that in the world and look to be the most relaxed, easy person in, the, in, the, in any conversation you're in and you will be more charismatic than you think. Thank so, you, you, you know, if I can leave you guys with that, Thank you, that's sir. what I would leave you with. Great, 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 great stuff. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. I'm looking forward to talking with you some more because Absolutely. these are the types of tools we want to provide to uh, these nonprofit leaders out here. Thank you out there, all of you who are, got out of bed this morning with the thought of how you can do something to make other people's lives better. Mm. What and why are your job today? How is none of your business? Trust. Trust and move forward. Pick up the tools and you'll have it. So this is Russell Dennis signing off for Joe Homs, thanking him again. My good-looking colleague, Hugh Ballou, you know, there was a point in time when he was jealous of my naturally curly hair. Once he got over that, he decided he'd like to have me hang out here with him every week. Be here with all of you great folks every week. And keep doing what you're doing. The world is becoming a better place every day, every day that you're out here just swinging and going out here and being a service and being you. Which who could you be better at being that? So mm -hmm. this is Russ Dennis signing off, and we will see you right here 
next week. Blessings. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.